Good evening. We made it. Week three of Ruth. Thanks for coming back. And there's new faces tonight, so that's exciting. Thanks for stopping in. Um, this has been fun for me to get through um, with you guys and this awesome book of Ruth and the providence of God, and hopefully you've learned a lot as well. Um, this last week is just an exciting just compilation as we get to see his plan and my purpose collide and the whole story of Ruth come together. Um, I love it because we get to see it from beginning to end, right? We get to see all the sufferings and the bitterness and all the stuff that happened with Ruth. And then we get to see everything come together in fruition. And um, I, I'm sorry. You did? That's okay. That's totally, totally fine. You can still listen in this last part, okay? All right. So um, we get to see God's redemption come together. We get to see how Ruth and Naomi's purpose is revealed, and we get to see everything. Um, what I love about this story is it's not just a straight road, right? It's full of twists and turns and bumps and all kinds of roadblocks along the way. And it reminds me so much of our lives. I was on Highway 35, headed north um, just yesterday, and I was realizing how straight and flat Iowa was. I mean, I've grown up here. I do know this. But I was thinking, as this was all in my mind, about how our lives are so far from a straight interstate going from Minneapolis to Des Moines all the way down to Kansas City, right? I mean, bumps and bruises along the way, and yet God is working through all of it. Um, Oh, I couldn't decide if I was going to share about this or not, but I think I will. So, um, I know, I know. So yesterday, I got to go up north um, to my old hometown of Clarion, Iowa, where I grew up from age 5 to 17. And there was a funeral up there, so a dear older gentleman that was like a grandpa to my siblings and I. Anyway, I got to go to the funeral, but in the meantime, I was able to drive by all of our old houses, and one of them was knocked down, and they built a bank in its place. I mean, it was, I was almost in tears just looking at that, like, how could this happen? Um, but just see the old church, and so many things were the same up there. If any of you are from rural Iowa areas, you realize they don't change a lot of things. Um, the bathroom was still painted the same pink that we painted it when I was a little girl and squealed with excitement that the girl's bathroom was painted like the bubblegum pink color. And I'm pretty sure the bunny that was sitting over the toilet paper my mom actually made. Like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those little bunnies that sat and covered the toilet paper roll because how dare we see the next roll coming up? Anyway, so I had a nice... Just time of nostalgia walking through, and then I decided I had a few extra minutes to go to our old farmhouse, and we rented this farm. It was on this beautiful acreage. A farmer came and farmed it and did all the animals and all that stuff, but my parents just rented the house, and that was the house that my mom went home to be with Jesus. And so, of course, I'm coming up on that farm, and just memories are vivid, you know? 
and I'm seeing there's kitties everywhere, and I'm sending little videos to Nina, and like, there's kitties everywhere. These are the grand kitties of Puss in Boots and Peaches and Cream. <laughs> My kitties from childhood. I mean, there's, she had like 17 kitties, and I talked to the lady that lives there now. They actually built another house on the land because the house I grew up in is caving in on itself, so she wouldn't let me in the house. I was super bummed and really regretting not pushing it a little bit more. I might have to go back before they tear it down. But anyway, I just walked around the house and around the farmyard, and I could hear my mom's voice calling my brothers and sisters and I in from the best climbing tree ever down from the tree and in for dinner and just see my siblings and I playing outside and doing stuff as a family. And then I walked around to the front of the house, and my mom's curtains are still in the window. Like, I'm talking about... She died in 95, and she obviously made them before that. So 30 years old, I don't know, maybe less, 25, it, but they were super old. So memories just flooding over me, um, happy ones all the way down to remembering that was the last place I saw her alive, and walking around the staircase with the wallpaper that was peeling and these really odd-looking um, blue staircases that didn't even match but all that so vivid in my head I can see what she was wearing and I can remember the nights of no sleep because you're just crying and seeing my dad sleeping on the couch because he couldn't handle being back in his bed all these memories flushing over me and then I started praying and crying a little bit I just thought of Ruth and I could almost see my life like a big puzzle. You know how sometimes you start in one corner and you can see it coming together and the other pieces you've got just scattered about because they don't match anything yet. And I could see God's redemptive, purposeful plan in my life in that corner of my life puzzle because I've seen him work through it. I mean, I remember vividly that house and the pain and the sorrow and the aching over my family and I, but now I can look 20-some years later and see God's hand. I can see how he's used it in my life. Um, just last week at the gym, a girl I worked with lost her dad unexpectedly, and it was an immediate inroad into her life spiritually, where had I not lost my mom, I, I wouldn't have that immediate inroad of, I've been there. Let's have coffee. I'd love to talk to you. She's not a believer. And so you can pray for me for that. Um, but I can see God working in that. And I can look over that part of the piece of the puzzle in my life and see the providence, the God care that he's had on my family and I. And so it was a precious, precious day yesterday. And I love that this book does the same for us. Obviously, I don't know the whole puzzle of my life, and you don't know the whole puzzle of yours. Like, we get to look at Ruth's and see everything in a big picture. But we know who does, right? We know that God does. So our two words that we've been talking about the last two weeks, providence, the protective, divine guidance or care of God, our God care, our God guidance, and then purpose, our action word, what we're doing inside of his provision. Um, we've seen it, the twists and turns of Naomi's and Ruth's life all the last couple weeks. Chapter one, everybody dies, right? <laughs> she loses her husband. Her boys marry these Moabite women. 
They're married for a collective of 20 years, 10 and 10. They get no children out of that deal. Both the boys die. There's no rain. There's famine. Everything looks super dark. And Naomi is very bitter and upset. And chapter 2, as we started reading in last week, Naomi is filled with hope, right? Because who appears on the scene? Boaz. And it's kind of a chapter of uncertainty and suspense because we're not sure what's going to happen in the story, but it's full of hope for Naomi, and you can kind of see her bitterness turn into joy. And then we have chapter three, that risky move in the night, and it would have been great to see this whole love story coming together like a Disney movie. They lived happily ever after, right? And that is right where we left off last week, except there was another bump in their road. Remember verse 12 and chapter 3. If you haven't opened yet to Ruth, you can do that. Verse 12 of chapter 3. And now it is true, sorry, this is Boaz talking. Um, He's talking to Ruth. It's true that I'm a redeemer, he says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I Remain tonight and in the morning. If he'll redeem you, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie down until morning. So here we go. Another roadblock. And this looks like a perfectly would-be happy ending. Doesn't it seem like they've had enough roadblocks, enough darkness in their situation? You'd think that the Lord would just let this one slide by. I've, nope. I know I've asked the Lord that in my life before. Um, haven't I had enough? Can't we just move on past this, Lord? So in our text tonight, as we finish it up, um, there's five things that I see here that we can do and think as we anticipate his plan to be revealed in our lives. I see it in the story of Ruth, and it's something that I think that we can take home into ours. And the first one, contentment in the waiting. Ouch. I don't like that word. Um... The last verse of chapter 3, Naomi is talking to Ruth, and Ruth has relayed everything that's gone on in the night with Boaz, and it says, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, talking about whether it's going to be a different redeemer or whether it's going to be Boaz, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And we don't hear from Ruth or Naomi, oh, you know what, I'm going to continue reading, actually. Let's keep going. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may redeem it, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this is the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. 
And this was the matter of a testing in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, your witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon, and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. I'm going to stop there for a minute. So we do not hear anything from Ruth or Naomi that whole chapter 4 until really verse 13. So the last we hear is Naomi talking to Ruth saying, wait, my daughter, wait. What I don't hear from Ruth is nagging and questioning. I mean, I can't imagine this guy, obviously she liked him and she wanted to marry him. And he says to her, well, truthfully, there's someone closer than me. There's someone else. I can only imagine how my reaction would be. I think I would have a lot of words about it and talking him out of that situation. Um, as women, I think we struggle with this a lot more than guys do. We have a hard time being content. I know this has been a thorn in my side for many years, being content with where God has me right now in the waiting time of my life. I think that if all of us were honest, there are many different ways that we struggle with discontentment in our lives, whether it's financially, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our children or our lack of children or our house or whatever it is going on, we struggle with discontentment. For me, I have struggled off and on in my life just with being content in this season of life that God puts me in. And there are times that I see victory over it, and then it's, it's that thorn in the flesh sin that comes back to haunt me again years later. Um, about, oh man, Graham's four, so it was probably between three and four years ago, um, all of my really close friends who we had all been stay-at-home moms together, everybody was home and doing laundry every day in their sweatpants. We would put our phones on, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Speaker. speaker. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> We'd put our phones on speaker and do laundry for an hour and talk nearly every day. And so it was fun. I loved it. I loved that season of my life. And then pretty soon, I still had Graham and all their kids went to school. And so most of them went back to work, got jobs, and our relationships changed. And I was still home potty training, temper tantrum spanking, doing the laundry, doing all the boring, thankless mom stuff that didn't seem very fun. And I struggled that year. I had a really hard time. All my closest friends were putting cute clothes on in the morning and going to be with adults and getting thank yous and appreciation and a check at the end of the week. And that's not where God had me right then. And the discontentment that it caused in my life only spurred on more sin. And I've noticed that about being discontent. It brings on more sin in your life. It brings on jealousy. You're jealous of them. Negativity. It, the negativity spread to my husband, like I was irritated with him when he came home because I was doing laundry. I, I mean, I don't even know. It was not his fault. 
um, bitterness, uh, short-suffering instead of long-suffering, right? Because what are we told in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, which I needed a lot of. Um, Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Against there is no such law. So I was just um, convicted, and I had to confess of my sin of discontent because that is where God had me at that time in my life. And it is something that I have to constantly pray against in my mind because I want to be discontent where I'm at all the time. It really is. It's something I have to pray against and that I would just be content in the waiting periods of my life. Um, You may have heard this poem before. I think that my dad's read it in a sermon, but it is so good. It's called Present Tense, and it was written by a 14-year-old boy. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holidays. And so it was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of the trees. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitation. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Isn't that powerful? Psalm Psalm 27.14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So we can have contentment in the waiting. And another thing I see here is trust in the uncertainty. Trust in the uncertainty. Okay, did you catch that in verse 4? where he actually agrees to redeem it. Boaz is talking. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it here in the presence of those sitting in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you won't, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he says, I'll redeem it. (laughs) You can almost hear, mic drop. (gasps) No, no. It happens so fast, you're not really able to take in the suspense. I wish it was a little bit slower and we kind of found out a little bit slower like a really good movie, but it might have been, okay? I'll redeem it. And you can just hear Boaz's heart just drop. No, no. And the crowd boos, right? I'll redeem it. Trust in the uncertainty. What I think is crazy here is here Boaz thinks that this guy is going to redeem it and really he's doing the righteous right thing in this situation. He was the one who knew about this other relative. We're not even told who this guy is. He's never named in the passage. We don't know who he is. And it was Boaz who knew that he was a closer relative. And no one else seemed to know who this guy was. And so really, he might have been able to get away with doing what he wanted, right? And marrying Ruth. And here he did the righteous, the right thing by still telling Ruth that there was someone else that had first right to her and all the property before him. And there still seems to be a roadblock. And I, I was honestly thinking of foster care. There are so many people in our church um, right now that are doing foster care, which is so awesome. 
And Heath and I have had our license for about a year and a half, um, really only doing respite right now. But because we've done a lot of respite, we've been able to get into a lot of these families' lives and get to know their kiddos and have them in our home. And when I think of uh, a lot of these situations that these kids go through and these parents in our church are going through, they're doing the right, righteous thing by having them in their homes. And so many roadblocks, so many bumps in the road are in the way for them. And they have to just trust the Lord in the uncertainty because there's nothing else they can do. They get to the end of their time with these kids. They've fallen in love with them. They think that maybe they could be theirs forever. And then it's not what God has. And they're doing the right thing. And it doesn't seem right. And you just want to throw your fist up and say, why, God? But he knows. And that's the, I think that is part of his point for us. Just like Job, God brings that stuff into our lives so that we are forced to trust him and we don't get too self-reliant. Um, oh, sorry. I thought I had another verse on here. I didn't put it on there. I'm going to read it. Okay. Um, I know this one. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know this one too. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the uncertainty with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. As crazy and winding as that path might be, he will direct your paths. Trust in the uncertainty. Um, so they had a hiccup in saying this guy was going to redeem it. And another um, uncertain path they had was, remember, Ruth was barren? Um, just because she's going to marry a different guy doesn't mean that she's not still unable to have kids. I thought this was interesting. Um, let's move on to verse 11 and 12, chapter 4. Then all the people who were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem and may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman now if you remember the story of Rachel and Leah remember Rachel was barren she was barren Genesis 29 11 says that God opened Leah's womb but Rachel was barren and then a couple, uh, about a chapter later, it says in chapter 30, verse 22, we're told that God opened Rachel's womb. I thought it was interesting that these witnesses chose to compare Ruth with Rachel and Leah. And they go on to say, may she be renowned in Bethlehem. I think it's more than just blessing her barrenness and hoping and blessing on her to have lots of babies. But these women were matriarchs of Israel. Um, Leah and Rachel were matriarchs of Israel. And they were praying then that Ruth would be renowned in Bethlehem. And of course, we know the end, how renowned she truly would be in Bethlehem, being the grandmother, future grandmother of King David, who's in the line of Jesus Christ himself. So a blessing that was put um, on her womb. I think that God, like I said earlier, just puts times of uncertainty in our past, 
just on purpose, only because he wants us to trust him. Um, another story that comes to my mind is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine how much trust in the uncertainty that poor girl had to have when Gabriel came to her and said, yeah, you're going to bear a son. You're, you're pregnant. And just all of the ridicule that she knew she would probably get in those next nine months, because no one else was going to believe that, right? Except her future husband. And yet, how did she respond? She didn't cry or whine. Um, she says, Luke 2, 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And she trusted in the uncertainty. She didn't know how it was going to turn out, but she trusted. Okay. Another thing I see is to rejoice in the present. Rejoice in the present. Okay, we're reading down to the end of our chapter. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. Rejoice in the present at what's right in front of you. It's coming together. Ruth and Boaz get married. They have sex. Notice the order. Baby Obed is conceived after 10 years of barrenness. How exciting. Ruth, or sorry, Naomi was so caught up in all of the stuff going on in her life, she struggled rejoicing at the things that were right in front of her, at the gifts that God had given her. And Ruth, being one of them, named as better than seven sons, which back then was a really big deal. I still find that funny because they needed the women to make more sons, but they all wanted the boys. Anyway, she's quoted as being better than seven sons, and Ruth was a blessing to her challenge to me about rejoicing in the present. Even when I'm down, even when I'm struggling with contentment in my season of life, am I rejoicing? Are you rejoicing in the current things that God's put right in front of you? Also, do you think this is funny that in verse 17 it says, a son has been born to Naomi? I always thought that was strange. A son was born to Naomi. Obviously, we know the son was not born to Naomi. The son was born to Boaz and Ruth, right? So why do you think that is, that it says a son has been born to Naomi? I studied that out a little bit. And most commentators agree that this is a way of making Naomi's night of darkness and bitterness come full circle and seeing the providence of God in her life. So you have the beginning where everything's bitter. She is upset with the Almighty of God, has forgotten her, and then it comes all the way around, and she was empty, and now she's full. And so the son, this grandson, has been born to her. And so it's just another picture to us that God has come full circle in this woman's life. 
Our providences may be negative, but God is at work whether we see it or not, isn't he? He's at work whether we see it or not. God was in the genealogy of Obed, the future grandfather, great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus himself. Revel in the unexpected is another thing that we can do when we're waiting for his plan to be revealed in our lives. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And God chose Ruth, too. Do you remember who she was? She was a Moabite. Chapter 1, verse 15, I know it was a couple weeks ago, but they were idol worshipers. She was a Moabite woman. How did an idol-worshipping Moabite get into the line of Jesus Christ? That's crazy, right? Because God wanted it that way. This is significant to you and to me, okay? Because we also are Moabites. We are idol-worshipping sinners. John 11, 51 through 52 says, Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And Revelation 5, 9 says, You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's unexpected proof to us that God's redeeming work on the cross is for us too, right? If he put Ruth in his son's line, it's for us too, and it's for every ethnic group, and it's for the whole world. Another thing that was unexpected about this is that she was a woman. Mentioned before, it was a big deal to have a son, and men were looked much more highly upon in women back in those days. She was a woman, and in Matthew 1.5, she's one of only four women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy, and yet she was in the line of Jesus. Ruth didn't deserve this pursuit of God, and neither do we, but it's free and it's undeserved. I love that. The last thing that I see here is hope. Hope for the future. Naomi would have never, ever been able to orchestrate this whole thing had she tried to, right? I mean, she kind of seems to me like she's an orchestrator woman. She orchestrated all of that, going back, leaving um, the town that they were in where her husband and sons died and got Ruth to travel with her and um, obviously orchestrated the things that went on between Boaz and Ruth in the night in chapter 3. But I don't think had she written her very own story that she could have orchestrated it to go this well. There is so much hope for the future. And when I think about it, sometimes I would think it would be really nice if God would just give us a book, like a picture storybook of our lives. And when we're in a really rough chapter, we can just look to the end of the next one and know how it's all going to turn out, right? But obviously, he does not do that for us. We don't have full answers now, but man, we have so much more hope in the future just because we have a God and a Savior that is full of providence for us and guidance for us. Um, I think of my boys. If you guys have met Graham, he's four, and he really likes sports a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. So much so that he, well, I'm pretty sure my 11-year-old boy actually has him convinced that he will be a professional sports player someday. 
And so if you run into them tonight, um, yes, he will tell you that someday he's going to play. It's either baseball or basketball. He hasn't quite decided yet. But um, they seriously have a hope where they believe that, that is, that's truly going to happen. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. I mean, he's, he's going to play professional sports. Mommy's four, and look what he can do. He's going to play professional sports. And I laugh and say, maybe, but have you looked at your mommy and daddy? <laughs> Probably not. So, you know, I mean, crazier things have happened. But I was thinking about that the other day when Tate and Graham were talking about their future um, plans. And with all of this in mind, that, man, if we could have hope in Jesus, in our future, the way that my boys blindly hope in their future, right? And we have proof that God's truly guiding us with the perfect plan for our lives that's going to turn out greater than we could even imagine. And yet we struggle having hope for that future and the rest and the uncertainty of our days. Don't we? I do. (sighs) Not only has Naomi's daughter-in-law found a husband, just like some random guy to redeem her, but he loves her. He is a godly, worthy man. We talked about that a lot last week. And here they're going to bear a son that will be in the line of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, the hope and the expectations have been completely blown out of the water, far beyond anything Naomi could have even imagined. And I think this story gives us hope Um, We have talked about providence in a very small way the last couple days, but I found this in a 400-year-old catechism book. I used to do catechisms when I was little. It's questions and answers. So here's a question. What do you mean by the providence of God? Answer, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, there it is, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Isn't that cool? Another one. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? Answer, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father that nothing shall separate us from his love since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. I love that last part. Without his will, they can't even move. And again, my mind goes back to the story of Job a little bit and how God is the one giving Satan permission to move in on Job's life. And it's the same thing with ours, ladies. Without God's hand, things are not even happening in our lives. So sometimes we sit down and think, how could this be? Why is God allowing this? Why is it this way? Why is my marriage struggling like this? Why is my kid struggling like this? Etc. 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 And yet without God's hand in his life, in our lives, none of it would have happened. So there is a purpose, like we've been saying, there is a purpose in the providence of your life and my life, just like there was in Ruth and Naomi's. It's so cool that we can see it from front to back 
and from start to finish in this story. We don't get to see ours, but we do have hope, don't we? We have hope that if your marriage is struggling, that there's Jesus, there's hope in that. We have hope that your kid, if they're not loving God and they're not following him, that God can change their hearts. We have hope in Jesus because he knows. He knows all of our future. He knows all of our twists and turns, all of our bumps in the road. It's not a straight line to glory. I wish it was, but it's not. And we can learn a lot and trust a lot in the getting there. So hopefully through this book, you have been able to learn right along with me just about having purpose and God's providence in your life. So let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for this privilege that you've given me just to speak the truth from your word. Thank you for your word that we can look at as examples. Thank you for this book of Ruth that we can be able to see the entire puzzle of this woman's life from the dark days to the uncertain days to the days filled with more hope than we could ever have thought or imagined. And I thank you that you have a plan for our lives. And Lord, it might not turn out with the fireworks, even in the end, that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi's life turned out with, but you know our future, and you have our perfect plan. And really, our true fireworks are waiting for us in glory, in heaven. And so even if we struggle here on this life, we have hope and eternity to be with you someday, Father. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that you have oh, kind and loving God care in my life and in these ladies' lives. And I pray that you'd help us to trust it in the times of uncertainty, that we would truly, truly be able to rest in contentment and trust in the uncertain times that you've placed along our crazy winding road. We love you, Father, and thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.